Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. Um, so this is actually my first year where I'm not teaching. Um, oh, good for you. Yeah, I Did guess you- so. I don't. I, I really like the schedule and the predictability of that teaching time. Um, so now I am the director of curriculum and instruction at our school. That's what I was going to guess. I, yeah. I, I assumed it was somewhere education adjacent. Yeah. It's really hard to argue against teaching kids to love themselves. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 553. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm speaking with Tiffany Jewell about This Book is Anti-Racist, her debut book. Listeners, I cannot even do this interview justice in this intro, but let me try. Tiffany Jewell is an anti-bias, anti-racist educator and leader. This book dropped like a bomb into my professional learning, and having the opportunity to interview Tiffany was both an inspiration and an education. Tiffany speaks on allowing her students to show her where to go. That's something I've been working hard on as well. I'm going to keep on learning, and it's in no small way because of the work that Tiffany and others are doing to help show the way. By the way, I highly recommend participating in the anti-racist book club Tiffany co-hosts with Britt Hawthorne on Instagram. As Tiffany puts it regarding doing the work of anti-racism, we can't not talk about it. Please welcome my guest, Tiffany Jewell, author of This Book is Anti-Racist. Tiffany Jewell, um, she, her pronouns. I'm the author of This Book is Anti-Racist, which is my first book. I'm a educator, an anti-racist educator, a mama of two. Um, I've been working in Montessori schools for a long time, and I still am. It's, um, and I live in Western Massachusetts, and I try to bake bread like they do in the British Baking Show, but it never looks as good as what they do. 
no. <laughs> Do you have soggy bottoms on your bread? No, I don't. <laughs> it just oh, thank goodness. Like, it, it just doesn't look yeah. as good. <laughs> I made a nice loaf today and like it's pretty, but it doesn't – It's I don't know. <laughs> oh, what a way to start. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm glad that you brought this book to life. By the time this airs, it'll be a book with with – um, real pages that people can really hold in their hands and in their libraries and hand to children. Yeah. Although I suppose there's already copies out there yeah. previewing. I have one uh, right folks now. To see. I was going to say, I, I also have one. <laughs> <laughs> but I have like the finished one right now. I just got it. Yeah. Aurelia, the illustrator, and I just got them very recently. And we're, we were um, DMing each other on Instagram and like, oh my gosh, are you holding it? Like, it was fun. Oh, and even better, that means you can take your arcs and just cut them all up because Aurelia has the most oh, gorgeous art that you can like collage it all over your spaces and notebooks and things. I hadn't even thought of that, but that's totally what I'm going to do now. <laughs> I I have been known to take apart a picture book art yeah. and use it as wrapping paper, um, as bulletin board background. Like yeah. I, I like to do stuff with, with that pretty, pretty art. I like to have it up in public yeah. spaces. And this one, this one is gorgeous. So I always do that with like it also, the dust jackets of hardcover books. I would cut oh, them yeah. up and um, put them up in my classroom. And then the kind of back pages, we would cut and make bookmarks and leave them in our book area. So yeah. good. So what, what children, what age did you typically work with um, in the classroom? I started my career working with toddlers and then three to six-year-olds. And then my training is with first, second, third graders, so six to nine-year-olds. And I taught in that age for about 12 years, I think. So it's, It is awesome yeah. to know that you wrote a book, this book is anti-racist, that upon reading, I feel like this, it feels primarily like it's a voice for for high school yeah. for teens and for yeah. adults for folks like me but knowing that you come from the world of working with the the very young mm -hmm. uh m makes me feel at least that i can assume that that you have an idea of how to start conversations with the very young how to start doing that work young yeah i do um so i think this kind of came out of, for years, I had been doing a history of racism and anti-racism work with our um, lower elementary students and kind of like decided to actually write up that curriculum. I don't, I keep a lot of things in my head. I don't do a lot of writing or I didn't, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> um, and then I wrote it up the curriculum and it was like 200 plus pages. And on Instagram, I like started sharing it out with folks and offering free trainings and then they could download after they like attended a webinar training folks could then um, download the curriculum and use it in their own spaces so this like all happened kind of last august um, or august 2008 i guess and then um, kind of last summer uh, this past summer i met with a bunch of folks just via zoom um, who were using it in their spaces and they were like college professor like it was just kind of across the board homeschool like so many people were using it so this is like something I've been doing for years with students and then to write a book for older students I had to kind of think a little differently because I think about how I talk with six-year-olds 
all the time is different than how I want to talk with 12 year olds. So (laughs) maybe kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of. I feel like I don't know because I've spent so much of my time with six year olds. I feel like those moments when I've stepped into being around high schoolers, I've sort of had to adjust and apologize that I'm sorry, my brain is sort of programmed to talk this way. And it's like, it's not really that different because the way I talk to like six to nine year olds, I don't, I treat them very, I don't want to say adult-like, but I totally respect them and have hard conversations with them. So maybe it's not that different. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like with, (laughs) with mine, um, I, acknowledge my awkwardness a lot with my third and fourth graders and the one or two times I've had a chance to speak to some upper school kids I feel like oh this is not a place for me to acknowledge my awkwardness (laughs) yeah but otherwise um it's 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 really great to hear um (laughs) that that you are having those conversations with 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 those children with those six and seven ish year olds and um and sharing that information online Uh, And that that maybe quite rapidly brought it into the opportunity to become Mm -hmm. a book. Did you, it sounds like you, from sharing it over Instagram and from sharing it uh, through webinars, that 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 was sort of how you envisioned the piece being, being shared, having arms and legs in that way. Did you, was it your idea to conceive it as a book that could sort of be handed off to someone? No. (laughs) It wasn't. I feel like that's <laughs> being someone that teaches. I feel like it would take an awful lot of restraint or throwing every single thing in to be able to say, okay, this book is going to speak for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> no, it was so. Um, my editor, Katie Flint from Quarto, emailed me like in the fall last year and was like, would you like, have you ever thought of writing a children's book? And I like read the email and I was like, ugh, somebody's like just playing a joke on me (laughs) like no um but then I realized it was real like I did a little research I was like oh she's a real person like this is real and we talked about what a book could look like and after just kind of like outlining it I was like oh this is like going to happen and this is like can go beyond my classroom which is what I've always wanted with the work which is why I've shared curriculum but never I never thought of it as a, like, it's going to be in homes. It's going to be in backpacks. It's going to be in libraries, like, which is the coolest thing ever. So like the idea of this work going beyond the classroom and kind of not needing a teacher to guide it, but it's for everybody is really exciting. I think that it's a really empowering thing you did, not just to be providing all of this training and support and resources to educators online, but to go younger and trust young Mm -hmm. people to be able to do the work themselves, to empower them that way. That to me speaks uh, really highly of you as an educator. um, And I think probably speaks to a lot of your values as an educator in that way that you're trying to empower those children to be able to think for themselves. Yeah, thank you. So one of the, um, both of my kids have had the same teacher at our little school. And uh, I could I could always hear her in the hallway 
she would like look at a kid, like watch a kid tying their shoes or helping a friend. And she'd say to them, like, I see your greatness. And so I kind of like, she teaches three to six year olds. I would take that into my lower elementary class and would start kind of our mantra in the classroom was I trust you, trust yourself. And so just, I would totally believe in kids. I think like doing this anti-racism work is so almost easier than doing it with adults. Like if you tease out the definition of racism and you talk about the misuse of power, they, they can understand it and they see it. They understand privilege. They understand power. They're like dealing with it on the playground all the time. Um, And they're just so sensitive to justice at at a young age that we as adults often overlook. Uh, So kind of doing this work with younger kids and like, why wouldn't I? We should all be doing this work with younger folks. Agreed. But I, I think that it's also scary Uh for many of us um, for many different reasons. Right. I mean, I, I would love to break down how you got started with children. But first I just want to acknowledge and admit that I think that, I mean, I'm white Mm -hmm. and I, I grew up through, I, I recognize in a lot of, um, different privileged ways that I, I benefited, uh, from my whiteness. And I have, um, I have grown up in a lot of blindness to what that whiteness privileged me mm-hmm. in ways that it, um, what's the opposite of disenfranchised others to the opposite word. Um, but, um, in coming to recognize that and start to do the work of unpacking that, um, I realized that having this conversation with others uh, tends to evoke one of two emotions mm-hmm. and, and, and especially in white people, I should say yeah. one in white people tends to be the feeling of, Oh, you're, you're okay. No, you're a yeah. good person. It's okay. Like um, pr- protecting. Um, yeah. Maybe like trying to protect yep. or comfort, like, it's okay. You're not bad. And the other side sort of feeding a, Oh, this is just sort of propaganda. This is, you're not racist or you're either, you're either racist because uh, you are prejudiced and support the KKK and hate black people and think that you are uh, better than everyone else. You are sort of the definition that we have for white supremacy Um, or you are not. It's a, a, a sort of, binary thing it's taken me at least a long time to find that middle ground where people want to have conversation and unpack what it means um to be operating in this system in systemic racism so i I would love to hear um, more of your journey into bringing those conversations to children um it started really early on when I was, I mean, I guess it started when I was a student in school. And so I would see injustice. I would see the way white teachers interacted with black and brown students. And I knew it wasn't fair. I knew it wasn't right. And I knew like, also like I am black biracial. I'm very light skin and I grew up with my white mom. And so walking around with that privilege too like 
you know, I, I knew there were things that weren't right, but I didn't have the words to describe it until I was older. And then there were like certain things that led me to like keep on this path and not like veer off of it. Um, just from like, and those things that kept me on this path were always things that happened in schools, whether it was in elementary school or when I was in high school or um, in college, I had a college professor. We had this class called Failure and Success in America, and we had to buy all these books for the class. And one of the books was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And she was like, we don't have much time. It's kind of towards the end of the semester. So you can vote whether you want to read the autobiography of Malcolm X or watch Thelma and Louise. And so I was the only person of color in the class. And everyone like voted for watching Thelma and Louise because they also didn't want to read a super long book. So like those are all things that kind of kept me in this. So when I started working with children, I started um, my first teaching experience was working. I had two amazing teaching experiences. One was when I was um, taking a class called um, like community and education in college. And I went to Ithaca College and I got to work in a third grade classroom. And that third grade classroom had a lot of students who were from a lot of different countries. And so I got to be around a lot of students who didn't have the same background as me um, and got to see different ways where we can affirm each other. And then I also had an amazing experience. I studied abroad in London and I got to work at a school with third graders in London. And they almost all of them lived in the housing projects that surrounded the school and they were also like all from different countries. I had students from like Kosovo and Morocco and um, Bangladesh. And so like, so it was again, like another experience where it was like all of these kids like come from different backgrounds and this is the place where we get to be affirmed and we get to like be positive and, and create this safe environment. And I've had the um, kind of like this in mind as I've become my own teacher, <laughs> as I've become a teacher, but um, myself, I guess is the better way to say it. And working, then I moved, finished college and I moved to Philadelphia and I got to work with toddlers, like really young kids. And I started reading about anti-bias education and it really spoke mm. to me. I was like, this is exactly the way to, to teach and work with these two-year-olds. Um, you know, the first goal is all about loving yourself. Like what, like nobody I mean, I don't want to say nobody, but like, it's really hard to argue against teaching kids how to love themselves. Um, and I worked in a, like this, the school, the daycare school center that I worked at was really, um, it was independent. Like we got to teach what we wanted. And so we got to do a lot of like affirming um, work with the kids. We did a lot of work around uh, culture and art um, and really allowing the kids to see themselves in the classroom spaces. And I was able to like bring that with me to Western Massachusetts. And it was like a culture shock because I went to an independent school where like almost all of my students were white. And before I'd always worked with um, almost in predominantly black and brown schools. And so um, 
bringing kind of the what worked well with uh, black and brown students. I was able to bring that with white students and keep working on like my understanding of racial identity and just really follow in Montessori. We talk about following the child, but really allowing like students to see, to show me where they want to go and they're learning and they always want to learn and understand about the world around them and how they fit into it. So that's kind of where anti-bias, anti-racist work comes into it too, because it's so much a part of everything around us that we can't not talk about it. And I just kind of keep doing it. And I was like lucky enough to have a head of school who supported that work. Like she never questioned me about it. Um, and she backed me up on, well, we didn't always get along either, but she totally backed me up on this work. Um, and uh, I felt like really affirmed. This is like the word of the night, um, affirmed <laughs> in my teaching practice too, from um, having a head of school, like being like, okay, yeah, you can do that. Like what, every year with your students. So and par- parents wow. loved it too. And it, now it's kind of a reason why people come into our elementary program is for the, the social justice work that we we do and we've done. Um, because it's just kind of like, we've done it, now we can't not do it. Uh, and now as the director of curriculum instruction, I get to bring it into all of the classrooms, which is super exciting. That yeah. sounds amazing that... Um really to walk it back all the way to the start that you mentioned that this was something that was always happening to you. This, this focus was something that was always being centered uh, in school in particular Mm -hmm. for you. And to see that, to see that you stayed with school from being a student to being a teacher and that um, you've just kept that, value that work you have affirmed (laughs) that work um into working with children working with all children no matter the age i think is something really exceptional it caused me to reflect tiffany on and i i apologize i realize this is centering (laughs) by me saying this but it caused me to reflect on how uh throughout my education program and throughout my my school education uh, we never focused on yeah. racism or anti-bias training or anything like that. And I don't think that's unique. I think also it's it's odd now that I reflect on it um, as I have grown older and realized upon reflecting that my my master's work didn't in the library didn't focus at all on yeah. censorship or things of that nature as well. Um, so much of this seems obvious and yet I wonder why our systems aren't making time to do those aren't prioritizing those focuses in our schools and yet to bring it back to you I see through your career this focus on doing that and now to hear you in this new position where that work is being affirmed in mm-hmm. in a position uh, being able to do that work and affect the 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 focus the mission the voice of your school and and of uh, of the work that way it's it's 
it, I'm smiling and I don't know what else to say. It just is awesome. Is. I'm going to send my kids to your school. No, <laughs> they are too old. But they're not. Uh, we go up it's, to middle school. It's great. Oh, you go up to middle. They are not too old. They are slightly yeah. too far away being outside of Baltimore, Maryland. But um, it's cool to know that you have been a light and a force and a voice um, for these children, not just for our profession, but for these children. Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Highlights Foundation. Imagine your own private retreat in a picturesque setting. The Highlights Foundation believes all writers and artists can benefit from the gift of time. Time to create and time to dream. That's why they developed a program called Unworkshops that gives you the opportunity to create your own retreat. In an Unworkshop, time is yours to spend as you please. No structure, no schedule. They will provide you with comfortable lodging and three great meals a day. From the moment you arrive, you'll feel right at home and fussed over. They'll furnish a peaceful setting that lets you focus solely on your work. And for only $149 a day. You and your career are worth the investment. Learn more about these and other workshops and online courses by visiting highlightsfoundation.org slash programs. Yeah, it's been really fun and I've like learned a lot. So when I, the first time I did like the history of racism and anti-racism workshop with students, I like made these cards with some pictures and they had dates and they had like little descriptions and it lasted for like a couple days. And then, you know, like I started with enslavement and I think I ended with like Obama um, being elected and like, it was great. Uh, at the time it was really meaningful and we had really great conversations with the students but like they kept telling me they needed more and they wanted to know more so then like the next time they did like they they became more involved and started doing research and telling me like what they needed to learn about and and know and and it again like kept changing and one of my favorite moments was it was like sitting in the circle and we had um I think there were like 32 students at the time and one of the older students because it was a multi-age classroom for second third grade when the third graders a white boy who came from a pretty affluent family he like kind of threw his hands down and he was like this is all because people don't want to give up their power and he like went into this like big thing about like power and white privilege and I was just kind of like wow, this is amazing. Um, And it was one of those moments where, because the students had really kind of led that work and really did worked on the research. And a lot of times, like from what they wanted to learn, I would fill in stories, but they really kind of took it over. Um, That kind of like a couple day workshop turned into like a two month workshop with the students to the point where they're talking about their position um, in in this system now we do kind of power analysis and we look at um, structures of dominant culture and in, in what's called the borderland um, culture which comes from the crossroads anti-racism training we really break apart like the definitions of racism and talk about the misuse and abuse of power from institutions naming the institutions like it's 
pretty amazing. And it all kind of came because the students were telling me they needed more. Not because I was like, hey, I think we can go a little deeper, folks. Like They're like, we need more. Can this be longer? It was awesome. To hear that, I mean, it, it, it almost isn't a stretch to say that your book, that this book is anti-racist, that, that where we are now is in part because your students yeah. kept pushing and kept asking for more. And I love that. Well, I wonder, I, I know that you've had some chance to speak to, to teachers um, in, I assume, all different mm-hmm. uh, sectors. I wonder how you picture this work looks for those that may say that their curriculum or their time is more yeah, restrictive. It is. The, where to start when you can't sort of provide an, an environment where kids can just keep yeah. asking and where three days can turn into a month yeah, or two. It is. And, you know, I have the luxury of working in an independent Montessori school. So I also like had students for three years so we could go into depth and, and um, I, we had strong relationships and um, some of them, you know, because it's a small school, you know them from when they're toddlers. And so they come to you kind of, and they expect like, this is the work you do in Montreal. But there are teachers doing this work um, in traditional public schools where the time is constrained and where you have to go by state standards or common core. And there are some educators who have really looked at the um, curriculum that I've written, which is more of a framework, like it's not a scripted curriculum, where they've written, um, like someone went through the Texas in, um, standards and wrote down like the teaks that it matched. There's a uh, Montessori school in um, St. Louis, City Garden Montessori, that are using it as kind of their whole school curriculum, but also matching it to St. Louis standards. And so that like the kind of the nice thing, it's kind of like an open source curriculum. Like there are folks who are kind of getting it to match their standards so you can do this work, whether, you know, your school is giving you time or not. <laughs> and a lot of it is like, you know, from research or from history or social studies. Um, like I know in Massachusetts, the social studies standards just changed. So my eight-year-old goes to uh one of our public schools and I'm working with the, the teachers there on kind of f- making the work, the anti-bias, anti-racist work that they want to do fit into their state standards. So they don't, you know, so they don't have to change what they're doing, but we're kind of looking at the standards to be like, yeah, we already do that. Or here's how we can enhance them or which is fun. So it's like hard, it's hard to find the time. Um, when I did it as a workshop, sometimes we would just do it for like 30 minutes a day, every day. And sometimes we would sit for three hours and just have these big discussions. Um, and, but it can, mm. like, you can do a little bit every day. Um, and yeah. sometimes it can be in your read aloud. You can integrate it into science and math lessons. Like we like to go over statistics, um, uh, like census data and, and reading those and looking at how our um, population has changed, how um, during certain times in our country, certain populations weren't counted. 
And, and why was that? What did that mean? What changed after that? We look at the pay gap um, from white men to indigenous women. So we, we really kind of make it this whole curriculum that can it can be done. You just have to, you have to like. It's so rad to hear this and just be like, with yeah. seven year olds. Six year olds and young six-year-olds do. And that starting there, you you have you have the reach where they haven't been what's the word? They haven't been systematized uh, so much. They haven't grown up within this system to know they're at an not that we can't all be at the age to question things but they're more readily able to tap in and ask why because they are at the age of why questions like hands down and they're also incredible problem solvers so they're also thinking about how to change a system and they have like deep like hope that they they can do it and i like truly believe that they will so like that like it's like kind mm. of like all the right things are in the right place <laughs> like yeah no doubt i can see why you have have stayed sure. in that <laughs> that so age fun. for so long it's a really nice place to be especially if you feel like the who you are and who you are drawn to teaching the the the, the way you are drawn to talking to children uh really matches that age it's good mm-hmm. to sort of yeah. lock in there and Tiffany, your curriculum, is it all still available on your um, website? So I haven't done any of the trainings this year. And I was just like this morning because I've gotten emails and, and DMs from folks being like, when are you doing? So now I'm my plan, <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'd really love to. So I'm hoping like sometime this month or in December to just like record the, the, the webinar of the training so mm. then people can download it and then download the curriculum. Because I really do want to make sure that folks – um, can see what the curriculum looks like and how to to use the framework before downloading it because I don't I don't write it as a script like and then you'll do this and then this like, I am much right. I'm not that organized and um, it, I find like it's just easier to kind of talk about it. So I want to make sure that whatever I can link yeah. to in the show notes so that individuals that listen can sort of have that trail yeah. back to find okay. things i'll yeah. make sure i link to your website um but but we can talk off recording about whatever other yeah. links to include just to make sure that those wherever you are in your journey uh you're ready uh you you have some resources to reach into you you've, you've included um the book i feel like we've done all this great talk about what led you to this book and <laughs> i'm realizing we haven't really talked about the book um the book which is i don't awesome. i don't <laughs> think the book, the book is awesome and it's gorgeous. And you've got so many, um, so much back matter going into the notes on the text yeah. and the glossary um, that that is bolded and underlined as you read the book and um, the biography that I've already heard you mentioning a couple of the titles. I just want to um, maybe offer people listening a a, a a a great like overview of of what they would find in the book. And then I want to ask you what how you would articulate what you think someone would find in the book so the 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 overview through these 20 chapters um it's broken into waking up understanding 
really who you are and your social identity and what racism is, both per- both personally and institutionally. Um, you, you make sense of the world in the next set of chapters through uh, prejudice in the history we carry and knowing our history, but knowing that we also are mm-hmm. our history. Um, some of the most moving chapters, I really would encourage folks to read this front yeah. to back. All right. Rather, even if you can read it, read it. What was the word we discovered? Read it as a blad. Read the sampler online (laughs) and then power through the entire book and just absorb it. I really, I think I've often in these conversations, Tiffany, I like to read aloud Mm -hmm. different excerpts, but I'm finding that I don't really know what to share (laughs) in your book because so much of it is so heavy i have one page um marked with my my post-it note in case i can read a little bit but anyway you're you're going into choosing your path with disrupting and interrupting and taking action um and then ending with holding that door open is what you call those Mm -hmm. last set of chapters with allyship and building relationships i really found chapter 18 called love yourself quite poignant and quite a, a great way to 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 um, head into the closing of the book, um, I, I, I would love to hear how you talk about this or how you are preparing to talk about this book with others, knowing that this book isn't isn't out um, available in bookstores as we're recording this. But I also want to say that every chapter ends yeah. with an activity that. I think you could just as easily do as a class, as a group, um, but but more importantly, in in private, in a place that you can return to, in reflection, so that really, so that from the way I experienced it was that so you can sort of have a beat to let what you just mm-hmm. read soak in, to let your brain digest it, to 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 interact with the content that yeah. you just read. <laughs> I really, so I envisioned this book as like a day's journey, but a lifelong journey too. So I was imagining like. So good. A day's journey and a life. Thank you. That's so good. So, you know, there's ideas like, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're like, you're opening the window and, and really going through your kind of daily routine of figuring out who you're going to be that day. And it may not be the same person you were yesterday because every day you grow a little more. Um, and so the first mm. one is really kind of a, us figuring out who we are because we really can't do, I, I believe we can't do this work without knowing ourselves or, and being on that journey of knowing yourself. Um, and then kind of moving into opening the window is like letting it all in. So then it goes into the history part, which I really loved the idea of and then really struggled with the writing of it because there was so much I wanted to include and um it was really hard to kind of like not include everything uh then from there you're and you do no no no, I'm sorry I, I just wanted to jump in and say that you do also take us yeah all over the world and show studies from and data from all over the world. This is not a, a United States centered story. This is something that I think you've really given a lot of weight to 
the fact that this yeah. is humanity's it is problem. It's still very like centered. Like the histories are still centered in very like white dominant cultures, though. Like I have to say, um, yes. And the part of that is because of where I am and where my editor and publisher publisher are. It's like the history that we've grown up with. So how do we undo the history that we've known? Um, and I like I wanted to know more uh, from other places too, and and just kind of like looking at colonization and how deeply it manifested around the the world. It's just like, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, just like colonization. <laughs> Know, Let's just right? take a moment to sit yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. And the impact. <laughs> we're still like just thinking like so there's so much we're reckoning with from the impact of colonization. Reckoning yeah. with. That's such a great such great language to use around it. Reckoning with. I found that even the term colonialism and colonization wasn't something that was readily on my tongue until post-college even into yeah into teaching so reckoning is just that right word sitting with it i was just thinking of like the in the movie black panther when his sister shuri was like talks to the white guy about colonizer there's just like it's those moments where you're like see this is a generation that like can have it on their (laughs) tongue now um, yeah yeah but oh, great not in small part because of folks like you doing the work <laughs> with three-year-olds and five-year-olds I, know. I just you know I, I i feel that i i i feel it on my heart to emphasize it because i feel like sometimes talking about race this is it's stupid <laughs> as it's coming out of my mouth i hear it but it feels like it's something that you do yeah. when kids are older. But that's stupid and irresponsible the same way that talking about gender identity is yeah. silly to wait till yeah. they're older. What are we doing yeah. waiting till well, they're older? Like, I'm a mama raising two white boys. So I'm like, this. we have to talk about this. And we do. Like I remember um, mm. when like Philando Castile died and like talking to my now eight-year-old about it and I can't he was five I think then maybe five and a half um but like this is you know we get to practice and it's like kids are way more forgiving when you talk about race than adults are and I always think of like every conversation we have is us practicing but it's also us like getting better at having these conversations so there's no need like why are we shying away from it yes you wrote in your book i'm gonna the one page i have (laughs) posted noted (laughs) you write um in waking up what Mm -hmm. is racism personal feels like it connects with what you're saying here it goes we've been conditioned to the bias of whiteness We can undo this. People play a big role in keeping racism going. If we do not work to recognize our prejudices, we remain a part of the problem. 
when we become aware of our biases and our role in racism, then we can begin to understand how we are a part of a system that is much bigger than us. And there's a great sort of boldened text at the bottom that reads, racism is a part of our society, but it doesn't have to be. I found the layout of this book so affecting, so powerful. Um, And so I, I wonder if I can, if I can just ask to hear it, who, Tiffany, do you picture this book is for? Who is the audience that you hope this book will so reach? So I wrote this book for a nine-year-old me who was like struggling with this in her classroom. And so I think about like it's marketed towards 11 to 15-year-olds, but this is the book for nine-year-old Tiffany. Um, I wrote it for my own children to read. I wrote it for all of my students, like the ones I've had. Um over all of my years and like ones who are probably even parents now because that's how long I've been teaching I wrote it for family I like I really just wrote it for everybody (laughs) um and in a language that um I feel like is readable for most people from you know a 38 year old to a, a nine ten year old to like everyone in between and and on the like after and before so I really like, I thought of people in mind, but I kept thinking of um, nine-year-old me and, and what she would have wanted to know. Tiffany, I think you did an exceptional job on this book, and I cannot wait to uh, dig into this curriculum and your webinars and everything. I, I just, I'm so moved by this and more so, I'm just, um, I'm really moved to know that individuals like you are in the world and are with students, with children, and are affecting the future the way you are. And I want you to know that you inspire me and that um, I just think what you're doing is super rad. And <laughs> you're just awesome. There it is. I don't know how to wrap that up. I just want to give you all the high fives and talk to you for three more hours. And I realize that's what a webinar is. I'm like trying to turn this into one of your webinars. Um, I will be at the NCTE conference, which is in Baltimore in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Ooh, so will I. I will give you the high fives and hugs and handshakes or whatever is yeah, I'm Most doing a workshop with a bunch of oh. other amazing anti-racist educators. It's called like anti-racist spaces or I can't remember the title. And I'm doing a book signing, so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so awesome. Well, before that, before this future of this book, uh, I would love to ask you that I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Tiffany Jewell is there a message I can bring to them from you. Yeah. Trust yourself. You don't have to trust all the people around you, but trust yourself to move everything forward because we're creating history every day and it doesn't always have to be the same crappy thing every day. (laughs) 
This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.darshanakhiani.com forward slash South Asian Kid Lit. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Haley, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.